Welcome to The Mentor Files. I'm your host, Monica Royer, founder and CEO of Monica and Andy. Join me as I chat with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, inspiring CEOs and experts at the top of their field to bring you the Audible MBA, unfiltered advice and mentorship every mover and maker needs to find their voice and success. Here we go. Chances are, if you're a single woman, or any woman for that matter, you're familiar with Bumble, the first female social networking app that is positioned to let ladies make the first move. Founded in 2014, the app has quickly grown to more than 41 million users worldwide and is no longer just a dating app. It's a social network that allows you to feel empowered while making those connections, whether you're dating, Bumble, looking for friends, Bumble BFF, or growing your professional network, Bumble Biz. With 100 employees globally and 85% of those women, Bumble has earned itself a reputation for being particularly supportive of women in the workplace through the culture and benefits they offer. Today, I chat with Chief Operating Officer at Bumble, Sarah Jones Simmer, about why culture is so crucial to their success. I personally was also extremely excited to discuss one of Sarah's latest projects, the Bumble Fund, a fund that invests in early stage businesses founded and led by women who are creating products that service women. Enjoy. Today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Sarah Jones Simmer, the Chief Operating Officer of Bumble. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, Sarah, tell us about Bumble. Oh, where to begin? Um, <laughs> Well, Bumble is a social networking platform. It got its start as a dating app in 2014 and was founded by a woman named Whitney Wolf Hurd, who was a former co-founder of Tinder. And coming out of that experience, she identified a need as a woman as a, and as a leader in technology to create an environment that felt more safe and more comfortable for women. And Bumble was born. It's very unique USP is that on Bumble, only the woman can make the first move in a heterosexual connection and the dating app. And what that does is it really recalibrates gender dynamics and helps empower women to take control of the conversation, to set the tone for kindness and for accountability. And it makes men feel really flattered in response. It allows them to not have to feel like conquesters and can be in receipt of of the conversation from women. And what's been really exciting to see is since that launch in 2014, Bumble has expanded in many different directions, always thinking about our users and the kinds of connections that women need in their lives and has built new platforms to serve that as well. So we have a platform called Bumble BFF, which stands for Bumble for Friends. We also have Bumble Biz, which is networking and business connections. Think about all of the efficiency that an app like Bumble creates when you're making romantic or friendship connections and think about how that translates to your professional life. So meeting new mentors, meeting potential co-founders, using it as a recruiting tool. So that's the core of our technology platform. We are headquartered in Austin, Texas, and our largest office is here, but we have teams around the globe in places like London and Berlin and Sydney and Toronto and Mexico City and recently opened up an office in Mumbai. So we're, we're basically trying to take this message of empowerment and accountability and kindness and women making the first move and bringing it to all corners of the globe in a way that helps users to connect with one another and make some of the most meaningful and important relationships in their lives. 
I mean, incredible. Tell us a little bit, Sarah, from the inside out, like that type of scale of a business, like what, what does that feel like in real life? Like what does your headquarters team look like? And what's some of the infrastructure that you guys have sort of built around this global scale and the multidimensional sort of components that, you know, this isn't just like a way, like you said, that you're meeting and people are dating. It's like mentors and co-founders and mom friends and like all of the above. So tell us a little bit about what that feels like in real life at your headquarters. So Bumble serves 60 million registered users around the world, which is an incredibly exciting number, thinking about the fact that we're not even five years into this. Um, I've been with the company for two and a half of those years. So Whitney and the early founding team had really caught magic in a bottle and developed something so, so special. And it's been so exciting to partner with them and think about bringing that vision to scale and helping to accelerate growth and bring it to new markets. As you rightly pointed out, what that feels like day to day in headquarters is just a a lot of motion and a lot of activity. And I think what's incredibly inspiring about this business is that we're showing what is possible for a company that puts women in the driver's seat, that puts kindness as a core value, but that also is profitable, is generating real revenue, and is scaling to all parts of the world. And so the balance of getting to do those two things to like really generate an impact, but also create a highly profitable business, like that's amazingly exciting. And I think there are a few businesses in the world that get to have a foot in both of those worlds in the same way. And what that does is it means that I'm surrounded by incredibly passionate colleagues here at HQ and at our satellite offices around the world that are getting out of bed every single morning, realizing that they're part of this mission and this movement and this vehicle for, for global change for women and frankly for everyone. And that is so inspiring. So it means that we're tackling a bunch of different ideas in a lot of different directions on a day-to-day basis, whether that's new marketing campaigns as a way to drive new user acquisition and bring more people to the platform, or that's product innovation and new features and tools that we're developing within the app itself, or thinking about product extensions. And so even beyond the core technology platform, we've launched things like the Bumble Fund, which is our early stage investing vehicle. We've launched Bumble Hives, which are our in real life experiential pop-ups in places like New York and LA and Toronto, and soon to come in other cities around the world. We just did one in Melbourne. You know, and so I think it's, for us, it's always thinking about how can we bring Bumble to life in as many ways as possible to reach as many existing and potential users around the world and, and, and grow the impact of what this business can be. And Sarah, how did you guys transition from, you know, sort of the start where this was, you know, a dating app to really like realizing the full potential of like this much larger scale of networking? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think as with any great innovation, it's a combination of gut and instinct and vision, which is to Witt's credit. I think she always knew that Bumble was going to be more than dating. And, and she agreed with her business partner, Andre Andrea, to start in dating because that's the space that she knew from Tinder and that he knew from his company, Badoo. But I think she always knew it was going to be more than dating and always wanted to do things like BFF and biz and so many of these other things. And then I think in addition to that vision and gut instinct, it's really about listening to your users. And so what we were seeing is that people were using the Bumble date platform to do things like make friends. You know, they would put on their profiles, I'm not here to date. I just moved to Chicago. I don't know anyone. Is anyone interested in going for a drink or finding a workout class together? And so we realized that there was this pent up demand and, and that there was no one 
besides us, who was equipped to serve that in a really woman first way. And what I, I mean by that is that we knew that women felt safe on our app to connect in a romantic context and that we could therefore create a really safe and comfortable place for them to confidently connect in a friendship context. And then when we started BFF, we saw that there were so many examples from both men and women of people saying, you know, I, I've lived in Austin for a while. I don't necessarily need new friends, but I'm interested in exploring new business opportunities. I want to switch to a career in design, or does anyone have time to let me pick their brain as I explore a transition into a more finance-oriented career or things like that? And so, again, we started to see this organic momentum build up of how users were using the platform, and we responded to that. And I think so much good innovation in, in consumer-driven technologies like we are comes from listening very carefully to your users and always trying to deliver to them one step ahead of what they even realize their need is. That's a, that's a kind of incredible. And it's interesting that like the vision was there to begin with, because it's funny how sometimes like the founder's vision is there and then it starts to unfold over a course of a couple of years. And you, you never know. I mean, there were things that I feel like we planned that we've done over time. And there was other things that have sort of come to us when we started. So I had always kind of wondered yep. uh, from like the dating app perspective, how much of that was like a plan that was from the beginning of time for the company versus like, what did you guys experience along the way that incited you to do yep. it about yeah. you? I'm sure you live that firsthand as a business owner, right? This combination of like having a vision and having conviction for an idea or that a market opportunity exists and then coupling that with like real world, real life experience of what your users are telling you and what they're showing you with their usage of the product, whether that product is an app in our case, you know, or a suite of supportive products for young children in your case. I think there's always so much that can be learned from the combination of your own gut instinct and vision and layering that together with what users are telling you they want and need from your brand. Agreed. And I think for people out there that are listening, that are thinking about starting a company or like working at a startup, I do think, I think that like these 2.0 version of digitally native brands or like, you know, even what, what you're doing over at Bumble, which is, you know, obviously a little bit different with this, you know, this type of like technology. I think 50% of it, as I've talked to different founders, is really vision. Like, how did it start? Where where, where did you want to mm-hmm. head? And then the other 50% is innovation. And it's like, what what are you learning along the way? What are your customers telling you? What are your users telling you? What what is What is competition doing? And how are you building innovation into what you're doing? And I think if you keep at least that vision, 50% of it, then you're headed in the direction that you started. But I think it can't possibly be 100%. Or for most people, it can't. I'm sure for some people, it can. But it's like the market's changing so much on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis that you really have to innovate. And you have to listen to what your customers are saying and what people want from you and sort of, you know, learn in the moment as like real life testing happens. And I think that's the hardest part of growth is continuing mm. to map a team and a, a road and, and to sort of have a roadmap because it's not like a straight line. No, definitely not. And I think that's probably one of the the best things, but also the toughest things about being in an early stage high growth company, right? It's like your work is never done. And just when you feel like you understand one piece of the business or one segment of your audience, rather than sort of like empathize that and rest there and turn things on autopilot, then you're like on to the next growth opportunity. And I think 
you know, for me, that's what gets me excited. I have, I have enough professional ADD that I couldn't possibly (laughs) just sort of like go through the motions every day and like call it quits after my nine to five. I think for me, I find that inspiring. And, And yet I know that that's not for everyone, but I think, you know, one of the things we're spending a lot of time on now is like, we have the privilege of operating in the relationship space, whether that's dating relationships, friendships, business connections, we know that these are vital human needs and and they're not going anywhere, right? Like humans are built to be in relationship with one another. This is why things like solitary confinement are the harshest form of punishment. So we know that our addressable market isn't going anywhere, but we also know that attitudes towards relationships and what brings people together, whether that's attracting them on a romantic basis or for a friendship or or attracting them to each other for business opportunities, that is changing. The workforce is changing. The way people think about freelancing and side hustles and building their careers is changing right in front of our eyes. The way that people are thinking about dating is changing. Gen Z, as they're now entering university, the way that they're thinking about campus life and, and mixing friendship and romance and the way that they think about the fluidity of those relationships and the fluidity of gender, for instance, like all of this is changing. And it's our job as an app that operates at the intersection of human relationships to be really in tune with that and to make sure that we're listening to what our users want. And, you know, of course, we pay attention to competition. We look at others in the dating space. We look at Facebook and the other social networks of the world. But we arguably spend more time thinking about a 17-year-old woman who's in her college dorm or about to be in her college dorm, and what is she, what is she going to be thinking about in terms of relationships a year and five years and 10 years from now? And how do we set ourselves up to be able to serve her when she's ready for an app like Bumble? Yeah. And how, Sarah, how do you guys look at the, the future? That's really interesting. I went to a conference recently where they had like millennials and is it Gen Z? And then they were talking about like the generation that's our kids and how each generation, you know, is sort of viewing social media and the way that they engage differently. And, you know, it was talking about how like the Gen Zers are much more private about stuff. They've got like an Instagram account and a Finstagram account, which I I never heard of before Mm -hmm. I was at this. I was like, what's a, what's a Finstagram account? Okay. And how, you know, they're more protective of their image and, you know, understanding like that their data is out there and that employers might take a look at their social media and all of those components. And then how will that affect like our kids generation over time? Like what's, you know, what, like, of course we've got them on our Instagram accounts and, you know, what will they think of that in the future? So how at Bumble do you guys see sort of the future or how do you like keep on the pulse of that? Cause it seems like for, for your team, it's like, that's such an important part. And like, that's got to be changing in the moment. Do you have like a team that's dedicated to looking at that? Or like, how do you sort Mm -hmm. of try to predict where the future is going to go in terms of being able to pivot towards it? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think, I think we are on the precipice of like a real generational sea change right now. You pointed it out so well, you know, the so much of millennial sort of social media and app engagement really is about oversharing. It's about projecting the image that you want to publicly. It is putting your kids on your Instagram account and getting as many followers as you can. And we are seeing that privacy is important to Gen Z in a different way. And obviously that's interesting and and arguably a strength for us in terms of the way that we create connections because we are much more about creating one-to-one connections between individuals as opposed to being a platform for projecting information. 
to your question about how do we stay on top of this, I think one of Bumble's incredibly unique assets is our college marketing program. So within the U.S. and globally, we have close to 3,000 college ambassadors that are advocates and evangelists for us on their college campuses. And that happens, you know, in the Big Ten schools in the U.S., and that's happening in campuses in places like India. And what those ambassadors do is help us understand what life is like for 18 to 22-year-olds, what matters to them, what different things are resonating within culture. And they also help to evangelize Bumble on their campuses and get more users on the platform so that they can connect with one another. And that becomes an amazing testing ground for us. And so when we have a question about like, is this musical artist relevant? Or like, how many of you are using TikTok as a platform? And what should we know about that? We have this built-in sounding board. Because, you know, I don't know any longer what the current experience is for an 18-year-old, but we need to have access to that in order to be able to build a thriving business that can serve those men and women. And so we have to we have to be really intentional about the way that we listen and digest that information and use it to inform both our marketing and product strategy. That's great. And I think that every company is trying to think about how to do that. But it's interesting talking to like, usually I'm talking to people that are delivering a physical product or a lot of the people that I've talked to are delivering Mm -hmm. physical products. So it's exciting to hear about that from a perspective of somebody whose product is different than, you know, something that's coming wrapped in a package. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally, Sarah, and sort of your evolution in your role. My understanding is that you started as a chief of staff at Bumble and like, you know, obviously moved into like the role of chief operating officer. And, you know, I actually have like an incredible chief of staff at the moment who's just out of Kellogg Business School and is unfortunately for me heading back to Deloitte where, you know, where she came from business school from, which is a bummer. But like just my personal curiosity to learn more a little bit about like what your role was like at chief of staff and sort of like your ascension into this into this different role at the company. Yeah, great question. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that about your chief of staff and, you know, go Wildcats. I also went to Northwestern. Um, But Gosh, uh, I started my career out of school in investment management. I worked at a hedge fund. So basically worked on Wall Street, but from Los Angeles. So in terms of keeping wild hours, I definitely had my exposure to that early on um, because we would need to be in the office by 5.30 or so to be ahead of when the markets opened. And that experience was incredible for me in terms of developing my analytical skill set and also having a front row seat to looking at companies at different stages of their growth trajectory and seeing what made them thrive and where they would have struggled and understanding companies across many, many different sectors and stages of their growth. And like, this is what's wonderful about investing, right? It's like you get to dig into that and understand it from an outside perspective, but in a really comparative way. And so I think that was quite foundational to my career. I then moved over into strategy consulting at a boutique consulting firm also in LA that focused on social good and mission-driven businesses and individuals. And so historically had worked with a lot of celebrities and high net worth individuals. And I came in and really helped to build out their corporate practice and had the privilege of working with brands like Gucci for many years and helping them to craft their investment in the girls and women space and drive home what they were doing as a brand to be more sustainable, to invest in areas of need in the developing world. And, you know, just really have an enormous amount of respect for what they were doing and and learned so much about brand building and marketing and customer loyalty through that experience. 
I then decided for family reasons that we wanted to move to Austin, Texas. I'm actually from New Jersey, so this isn't home for me, but it put me a little closer to home and it's a wonderful place to raise a family and frankly, a lot more affordable than LA. And so moved here was a part of a, a startup here for a few years and really helped to get that business off the ground in the clean beauty space and learned so much about building a digital first business and raising venture capital and, and sort of all of those pieces. So all that to say that I kind of spent my career investing in and studying and consulting for businesses at different stages of their growth and very much mission-driven businesses. And so when I saw the job posting for Bumble, it, you know, it was just my dream job. It was basically <laughs> taking all that I had learned up until this point and being able to knit it together for a cause that I was incredibly passionate about for a visionary founder who I believed in and believed that she had the vision to to change the world and to change relationship dynamics as we know them. And, you know, I probably would have taken any role that I could have gotten just to get a foot in the door and be a part of that movement. And, it, you know, it happened to start at Chief of Staff, which was a wonderful place for me to start to really get to know the team and the business and its history to date. You know, and I was honored that that could evolve in a, in a direction of COO. And I think that enabled me to help this magical early founding team who really had established a vision and established a product and a, and a brand language. And it's my job to try to fortify that and bring infrastructure to it and think about how to scale the team both domestically and internationally to enable that vision to be realized around the world. And, and as I hope you can tell, like I just feel honored and privileged to be able to be a small piece of that. And it's been an incredible two and a half years or so have been on that journey. Well, that's, that's so fun. And I, I think that, you know, we, there's a lot of business school women that listen to the podcast and I've had the privilege of going around and like to Booth and MIT and Kellogg and getting to meet some, I'm super passionate. And part of the reason for the podcast is just because I feel like there's like not a level playing field, you know, so many times mm-hmm. for women for a lot of different reasons. And so it's exciting to kind of hear about your career journey and, you know, I think chief of staff sometimes can be a question for people of like, what does that role mean? And, and I think it's just such a great way to get into an organization with my current chief of staff. I knew that she was going to have to go back to her her previous role before she took it. And, you know, sometimes we've had people that have been more interim, but I just think it's such a it's such a great way to see all aspects of a company and to be able to mm-hmm. learn so right. many different things and gain so much institutional knowledge because you're you're kind of like you, you get a chance to see you have a really a bird's eye view with the CEO of like all of the different things that are happening and and such a helpful role to the CEO, too, just because like there's so much stuff you can't pull through on your own. And just having somebody that's focused on helping you to, to finish everything is like such a it's just just been a great role within the organization. And it's cool to think that that's how you started there. Now that you're in this chief operating role, you know, and facilitating sort of the expansion of what seems to be like an ever-growing global team for Bumble, do you have tips for people that are listening? And, you know, of course, for me too, in terms of like how you set out to hire the right people across so many, like across a more expansive global channel that you're building? Oh gosh, that's a great question. And I think, (laughs) I genuinely think like hiring is the lifeblood of a business, right? Because the greatest asset that we have is the people on this team. And, and there's no way that we can achieve the scale or the vision or the dreams that we have for the business if we don't have the right people in place to do it. And so I think for me, that's been a combination of understanding where a business need exists whether that's a new market that we want to enter or a part of our marketing 
channel distribution strategy that needs to be invested in more heavily, you know, like identifying where those gaps are. And then, of course, finding the right person to fill them. But then I think there's almost a parallel path, which is when you find really talented people who believe in the vision of the business and who would bring something to the table, that even if there's not an existing opportunity for that, that that you sort of find a place for them. And I know, you know, Whitney will describe so well how she sort of found her her first three founding team members and the passion and commitment that they brought and their ability to see the vision when no one else could at the beginning and how, just how very special that is. And I think that's an example of finding the people who believe who are incredibly smart and driven and talented, and then, you know, plugging them into the right spots in the organization. And then I think, you know, as I said, otherwise it's like identifying where the business need exists and really defining what, that role should look like and what that person should be. And like everyone says it, hire slow and fire fast, but like that hire slow part can be really, really hard when you're such a fast growing company. When you're like, I just need this role filled because like this work is not, is either not being handled or it's being absorbed by other people and it's stretching them in a way that's not going to be long-term sustainable. And, and so it really can be hard to be patient but I, I'm sure so many business leaders can tell you that when they did take the time to do that and to find the right person and to really define the role well, that that's how you end up finding the right fit. I think the other thing in full transparency is that a company like ours is truly changing every single quarter. So you need to find the kind of people who can come in with one job description and acknowledge that like one or two quarters from now, their role could look entirely different because the company has gone in a different direction. We've added a new platform, we've added new markets. And you wanna find people who are resilient and flexible and nimble enough to be able to be on that journey and make that transition with you. Yes, I think, I, I love that, Tara. And I think I can't stress that point for people that are listening as you are starting a company. It's like one, being able to look for like multifunctional players that are gonna be able to wear different hats, mm-hmm. but Two, to realize, like you said, that you you want to tell people, hey, you're coming in and you're taking on this run, one role and here's what it's going to look like for three months. But you're constantly going to be changing and shifting. And even if the role stays the same, even if the title is the same, the job is totally different. Like I even think about my role as CEO and it's a completely and totally different job than this was four years ago or three years ago or two years ago or a year ago, it constantly shifts. And we talk a lot of, a lot of times there's two things that we talk about here. We talk about evolution because like, you know, I've got so many people that are on this journey with me. I've got to evolve. And like, how do I evolve the team along with me? And that certainly can be challenging, you know, for me personally, as well as for other people that are here. And we've also started to talk about the happiness factor. And so, you know, at our headquarters, like asking ourselves again, like it's, these are jobs at the end of the day. So like, I'm under no suggestion that like everybody here is just like so happy and having the time of their life. So not nothing like that, but it's like fundamentally speaking at the base of it, are people happy with what they do? And can Mm. we build on that? Cause as you look at a lot of times when you have people where like, it's a, there's, it's a struggle for whatever, for whatever reason, it's like at the core of it, are they, are, is that individual like happy with their role within the organization? And I think if the answer to that is no, it's very different, difficult to build a strong culture around that because in mm. you know, aligning that at a company where that role is, is 
kind of shifting as you're talking about is such a challenge. So it's one of the things that our headquarters that we've started talking about as a, at a baseline. And, you know, as I talk to my executive team, kind of asking like, what's your happiness level with the job? We just did like a, a coffee and donuts with the mentor files, which is something like when we have somebody that's been on the podcast and they're here in town, like getting them just in front of the team. And it's a very different discussion in that regard, because it's less about like, we've got a larger audience listening to it. And it's more geared to like the issues and the challenges that we're facing here. And one of the things that Bobby Yazdani of Cote Capital, who was in town last week, was saying that like to have a successful team, like people need to be obsessed in a certain way with what they're doing. And that like at companies like this, where everything's changing, do you have that obsession from your team? And I think that, you know, that's hard to maintain over like a large period of time and like years and years and things shifting. So constantly being able to check in and understand like where people are and we're not nearly as big as you guys are so small comparatively. So like, I'm unclear on how we scale that, but it's just like, we're just starting to think and talk about those things here because that focus on culture is, is so important and such a difficult dance. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many thoughts in response to that. I love the framing of you need to find people who are obsessed. And, and I think that's true. And I think that like purpose forward mission driven businesses, part of the reason they're leading the way right now in, in the sort of startup economy is because it's a lot easier for people to get obsessed when they see how their day-to-day impact can create real change in the world. And we know that to this generation of the workforce, that really matters. And if I look at some of the people I admire most in the business, I'm I'm thinking about this woman, Caroline, who is our current chief of staff, but in her journey at Bumble, she started as with EA and then she was overseeing UX marketing and international marketing. She does all of our special projects. She's helping get bills passed and opening coffee shops and what I admire so much about her is just her absolute obsession and commitment to Bumble and to Whitney's vision and what that has allowed in terms of her career growth because she can go where the business needs her to go. And there's this there's this framework uh, that a coach and mentor of mine has shared with me that I'm crazy about and I talk with, with all of my teammates about, but it's like a youth and juice matrix, right? So if you think about business use as one axis on the matrix and what brings you juice or joy or happiness in your business is the other axis on the matrix where we all want to be is in the quadrant where youth and juice are aligned, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're like doing the stuff that gets us out of bed every day and brings us a lot of intellectual and emotional satisfaction and that that's really well aligned with business needs. And so to your point about happiness quotient, it's like, how can I help you focus on the things that bring you joy that are also going to drive business growth? Yes. And like, this is the point at which everyone's operating at their highest and best use. And look, we don't get to all do that all the time. I have many things that I do day to day that are like high use to the business, medium juice for me, but like, yes. of course there's going to be pieces of that. And occasionally it may make sense to do something that's really juicy for you but that's maybe not as high use for the business, but it's going to give you a moment of personal reward. But I think as business leaders, what we have to try to do to create high-performing teams is align youth and juice in a way that helps every single person feel like they're operating at least most of the time at their best intersection of those two things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting to think about that together. And then third thought to this idea of like happiness quotient and how people are feeling at work 
as a values forward organization, we put a lot of emphasis on kindness and kindness in our interaction with one another, kindness in the way that we feel about ourselves and our work product. And I want to stress that we're very clear that kind is not the same as nice. You know, I think kind is being really clear about feedback. Kind is being really clear about expectations. Kind is treating each other with respect, but it's not necessarily worrying only about sunshine and rainbows and birthday (laughs) celebrations. It's thinking like, how do we create the maximum amount of change in the world? Because that's the vision we're all aligned on. How do we end misogyny globally? And how do we work closely with one another in a respectful and collaborative way to achieve those goals? And I think that's been like an interesting layer of our journey in being such a culture forward organization and then an organization that is trying to do things differently and trying to do things in a way that supports women in the workforce, but still has to drive really big business goals. And, and I think we are doing that well, but that really does come down to thinking about putting together the best possible team and giving them the resources and support and the role to help them function at their highest and best every single day. Yeah. And I think, I mean, beautifully stated, Sarah, and I just learned so much from, I almost can't wait for the episode to come out because I need to, I I literally need to re-listen to that again. It was like so poignant and just so well stated. But I think that there's a lot that people can take away from what you just said. And I think that all of the things that you're aspiring to do and that you are doing at Bumble, what people should realize that are listening to this as they're thinking about starting companies is like, all of what you just stated is like so right, so poignant, so challenging. And that's at a regular company. Mm-hmm. At companies with this type of growth, all of that is so accelerated. And I loved your point about kind is not the same as nice. I think that was one of my most difficult, probably the biggest thing I had to overcome as CEO is like in my previous life, my job was to be nice. It was like to get people to like me. And mm-hmm. and that's how, you know, that's how you were successful. And so coming here and it being both both kind but honest, and like you said, honesty is kind. It yeah. it was so difficult, and I think that you know that is one of the biggest challenges in these organizations. And as you're kind of stating, as you're looking at like, are we at the right intersection of like this person liking their job? Are they obsessed? It is it fitting the business need? Because like you said, so much of what we're doing is outside of the business need. That's where the obsession for the company and the role comes in. You're just you're so obsessed with it that you're you know, like you're willing to do to do everything. And I think that for people that are thinking about starting these companies, it's just like, it's just, a, it's a different landscape that you're walking into, or if you're thinking about working at one of them and you just have to be really ready for evolution all the time because everything totally. is just changing so much faster. And the more successful that you are, the more change that there's going to be. And so, you know, that's, that must be for you and your role as COO, just like a tremendous amount of fun but a a lot of work to facilitate all of that change and all of those people. Definitely. But it's also so worth it, which is funny because I feel like that's always my line when it comes to parenting too, right? Like it's really hard, but it's really worth it. And I think most things in life that are worth doing are going to be difficult. That means that when you get to a place where you can sort of look back or reflect on it, it, it makes it feel so much more meaningful. So much more meaningful. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like I learned so much from you. And I feel like this is only- I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, only part one of like having more conversations because I think that there's a lot, you know, in your role that I think, you know, not only my team, but people that are listening could learn from this. So I'm excited to continue to learn from you over time. Likewise, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information and tips from our guests, stop by monicaandandy.com or check us out on Instagram at monicaandandy. If there's someone you want to hear from or a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in.